Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of This Book Changed My Life. I am Natalie Ford. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm really excited about today's episode. I mean, I'm really excited about every episode, but every episode is different. I don't know how else to say it. Okay, so what do we do on this podcast? Every week, I interview one of my colleagues from Berkeley High School or Berkeley School District, and we talk about a bunch of different stuff. We talk about their journey to wherever they are right now at BHS or in the district. We talk about what reading looked like for them as a kid, what kind of student they were in school, and then we talked about a book that had a lasting impact on them. Today on the podcast, we have Chris Alpert. (sighs) So where do I begin, everybody? I think that's the biggest question. Chris is one of our hall monitors, which means she has a lot of jobs that she's required to do throughout the day. Okay, and I want to talk about, in introducing her, one job that I get to see her do, not every day, but uh, I don't know how often she does this, a couple times a week. So one of her jobs is to manage the lunch line, okay? And I know this because my classroom is directly across from the lunchroom doors, like directly across. So I get to hear the poetry that is ninth grade boy talk, ninth grade lunch line boy talk on a daily basis. So managing the lunch line is this really hard task for a number of reasons, but Chris does this incredibly well. So the first thing you have to know about lunch is that this is everyone, this is every student's like, this is the only reason why they're at school, right? Is to get to lunch. I think we all know that. So everyone, this is like the biggest moment of their day. They get to socialize. Nobody's yakking at them about doing something. Um, And the other thing is, is that everyone is super hungry, you know, like teenagers, they have to eat all the time. And many of them haven't eaten since first thing in the morning. So everybody's super hungry. It's a long line. Um, And this is the most excited they've been all day. People are really impatient. And of course, this is another crucial detail about the lunch line. People are always trying to cut the line. Cutting is not a word that you would think about unless you worked in a school. (laughs) But trust me, even though we're in high school, people still try to cut the line. Okay. So she, Chris is really aggressive against people who cut the line and she has to be, if you being aggressive against the lunch line cutters is essential to lunch line management. If you don't bust those cutters, it will be total chaos. Trust me. Okay. So that's Chris's job that I get to witness pretty frequently is lunch line management. And the, her approach is really that she yells at everyone and she loves everyone at the same time. I don't really know how else to say it. And that might sound like totally contradictory and impossible, but I'm telling you that's what she does. And it's a hilarious and beautiful thing to watch. And it really works with lunch, with lunch line management. There's no shenanigans out there when Chris is standing by the door. This conversation was hilarious. This conversation, you know, got me, got me a little bit. I knew she was going to bring up some stuff that she did. Um, but to me, this conversation in Chris really represents this concept of Berkeley high school, where of course we have amazing teachers and I've interviewed a lot of them so far. But it's not just the teachers that make our building great. It's really not. It's every adult in the building that makes our building great. And if you are a Berkeley High School staff member listening to this, you are nodding your head right now. 
You are. I know you are because you know this is true. Sure, at the high school, we have all these fancy AP classes and we have all the rigor and we have all the stuff that gets the banner and blah, blah, blah. But more importantly, we have a building full of adults who are there to support students on this crazy, confusing, difficult, overwhelming thing called life. And that is what Chris does. So here we go. Oh, on a listener note, there is some swearing on this episode. I know you are all shocked to hear that. Okay, let's get to it. How is it? How is, how are you? Well, you know, I, it had, my head stays above water. (laughs) That's impressive. I'd say. Yeah. It's been tough. I know. It's just crazy. It's just crazy to like be in this world and not have people from work. That's part of my biggest problem right now. Yeah. And you and I are two people that are usually always at work. Yeah, for sure. And um, through all my life and all the things I've gone through, I've always gone to work. And so this is a real curveball. Yeah, for sure. For sure. It's, I'm ready for, to go back to work. I'm, <laughs> I'm like over the summer already. I, I don't even know what to do. I agree. And I think that like you, you look at like, oh, are we going to be back in the fall? I'm like, let's just, let's just risk it, everybody. <laughs> I agree. I think we are going to be back in the fall. I don't know what that's going to look like. But right. I think I think we're going to be back in the fall. I hope so. Um, well, thanks for coming on my podcast. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. Well, it was funny. Um, Saris and Levinson both said I should call you. Yeah, well, you know, I'm usually good for a joke here or there. Well, it's not many people have... I don't know. I just thought it was funny that two people in were like, oh, you got to call Chris. And, um, I thought that was adorable. Wh- wait, do you, like, work with them a lot? Or why are you in their world? Well, you know, I always intervene, you know, when kids are being kids. Yeah. And I have to, you know, I have to go mom on them. And I'll tell you something that you'll understand when I tell you this sentence. I realize that I'm a lot quieter at home. Yeah. Than I am at school. That's interesting. So, um. I kind of got a chuckle out of how loud I am at school because it seems like I have 1,300 of my own children and they always need to be yelled at. Yeah, and you, you it's funny to me because when you said that you intervene, I thought that was the end of the sentence, but you had more. But, like, you intervene, period. I, all, all the time. If I'm walking down the hallway and a kid's giving you a hard time, I'll walk right in the classroom and tell them to get out. I know that's the one thing that we really love about you, Chris. Yeah, um, I don't have a big filter. No, no, and I think that's your gift. Maybe some people call it a gir- curse, but I call it a gift, Chris. Well, so far it's kept me out of jail. <laughs> um, okay, on my podcast we talk about your BHS journey, what you were like as a student, what kind of books you read when you were when you were growing up, and uh, the book that changed your life. So let's start with your BHS journey. I don't know even know how long you've been here. I started in 02, and I started at Avery with the little guys, and I, I learned that I can't work with them because they're very manipulative, and I'll do whatever they want me to do. I'm better off at the high school where 
I can put my foot down and um, not that they always listen, but they, they were good. They, I miss them. They were good. But my journey was um, coming in, not knowing what the hell I was doing and taking every class you could take from Oakland schools. There's a class I can take certifying myself, going to conferences, doing this, doing that, breaking up fights. I don't know. I, my journey is like, few of my friends said, aren't you glad all your kids are graduated? And I said, but they're not. I have 1,300 to go. And they just laugh because they're kids that I wake up in the morning and I worry about them. I, I worry because I can't see them. Yeah. You know, I had some kids text me. I, I gave some seniors my phone number because I'm a little more lenient with the seniors and when they need to get in the senior doors, yes, I let them in. Yeah. So a lot of them have my number and we play eight ball and stuff online, but they don't ever call me or anything like that. So I get, I wake up the other morning and I, there's about eight boys that now I'm part of their (laughs) texting. They're texting journeys, and so they're like, so we're out of high school now. Do you think maybe we could, like, oh, I don't know, go out and get drunk together? And I'm like, no. No, no. I mean, you know, they think I'm their friend, and I want them to think that, but no. No. I mean, are you 21? Yeah, not really. I'm like, no, I can't even believe you guys would ask me that. I think I'm going to call all your parents. And Adler's like, no, no, don't do that. Did seniors ask you to get drunk? Where? At their house? Do you have ice cream? Yeah. Yeah. We had a run. All right, now go away. I can't believe he's he's just said ice cream. Yeah, he's three. Oh, he's three? Hi. Are you with your Aunt Ricky? Mm -hmm. Okay, go away. No. What do you mean, No. Be out here. You can be out here. I'm talking to Mrs. Ford. Hey, Gus. Say hi. No. No. <laughs> um, Chris, I can I we go back to where you said that, that you, you and the guy thought he was my son. <laughs> you said that you didn't do all well the elementary school kids because they they manipulated you. That's what you said. Yeah. <laughs> you know, whatever they wanted, I like. If they cried, you know, and they were in trouble, I'd wait for the teacher to turn her back and give them a hug and tell them it's okay. And it's not okay. They were in trouble. But I don't do the little ones well because, well, because I spoiled my own. And um, the bigger kids get on my nerves a little quicker, so it's much easier for me. But the little guys, I have a tendency to want to hold them and let them do whatever they want to. Um, Chris, what kind of student were you as a kid? Oh, I have to tell you, I was a terrible student. I um, did very little to get by and graduated right at the bottom of my class. I couldn't get much lower. And the sad reality is I graduated and went to college and got a 3.8. Wow. What, what changed between high school and college? I wasn't sure if I was stupid. How did you figure that out, that you weren't? Well, after I went to college and got the 3.8, I realized that had I have gone to school and studied and did what I was supposed to do, I probably would have done a 3.8 there and did as little as I did 
and still graduated, showed up for exams, showed up for, you know, tests, showed up for quizzes, never turned in homework, never missed my gym class, skipped five days of school right in a row. Did, I, I didn't care. And that's a, that's a big regret. I was just going to ask you, do you feel like you regret that or did you learn a lot? It, it's a, it's a huge regret. It's a, it, if I could go back and change one thing in my life, because I really had a good life is I would go to school and I would take advantage of the public education because it's not a bad education. I just didn't want to. Do, um, do students in our school know that story about you? Um, I will share that with, uh, there's one kid that didn't make it an alternative ed. And once you graduate, you're out. So I did share that story with her and said to her, I can hook you up in Ferndale and um, you can continue and be done by the end of the summer. And she, she did. And she finished with a Ferndale diploma. But I don't, I don't share that story often because I really did have a good time in high school. But, and I don't want it to come across as it was a good thing to do because it right. wasn't. But I will share that story if I feel a kid needs to hear it. Not that they always care, but right. at least they're hearing that, you know, you get to be my age. You know, I'm going to be 60 this year. And that's a big regret. I mean, I, I should have gone on. I should have had a master's degree. I should have, you know, I wanted to be in law enforcement and social work and, and remove kids from the home and work with troubled kids. And here I am. I mean, I'm working at Berkeley, which is great. Right. And I, I love my job. But, you know, at 60, what am I going to do? Go back to college? I mean... I don't even have a bachelor's degree. So, you know, I just do what I do there. You would be such a good person to take kids out of bad places. Yeah, but I bring them home. <laughs> and my husband has made me promise that I can't bring any more strangers off the street home because they may rob and kill us. Um, yeah, that's very fitting of you, but don't you all, I don't know. That's just, I, I think that's part of your charm is you love everybody. You really do love everybody. I do. What? I do. I do love everybody. I mean, the, the kids know how I feel about them. And if they don't, then they're, they have low self-esteem. They know, they know there isn't a kid in that school that can't come to me. And they know that. And I think that we have a great administration. I think they bounce well off each other. And I think each one of them is different. Like I, I, we're supposed to go back to work on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And I called Annie in a panic and said, you know, Chris gave me these days off with pay and I'm going to commission my dad's ship. And what do I do? He's like, go commission your dad's ship. It's, we already know that it's okay. Yeah. But just the guilt of here, we're going back to work for these four days. Yeah. For three days and I and I'm not, I can't do it. Yeah. It just it's like I'm calling in sick and I, I'm not really good at that kind of stuff. Yeah. I think it's cool because um a lot of teachers I think I'll speak for myself, like, oh well no, I'll just say it's hard to love everybody. Like you kind of say it like it's no big deal, but that's kind of hard to do, I think. Like I maybe mean, it's easy for you, but you know, some of them can just be really something sometimes. Yeah, they can, but if you if you watch like I, I don't even know who to give you the, an example. There's many teachers. Um, Hainer is one this year that had a couple of real doozies and a few other teachers. And I could see the problem and I removed the child from the problem and sat and didn't stick up for the teacher. Right. I, what I did was 
tried to make them understand where the teacher was coming from. And if it was them that was the teacher, that's where they would be coming from too. But validated their feelings where Hayner had had it. Yeah. I mean, they, you know, at one, you know, and if I were Hayner, I would have had it too. Right, right. So I took that off her back and then she got to go walk away. And then, you know, then the tears and all that stuff come. I, I got a soft spot for these kids and, I don't know. I, I guess uh, the way I was treated in high school in, in Charlevoix, my mom was divorced, so that was taboo. And people did a lot of talking, and and uh, I would hear the talking. And I don't ever want a kid to feel that way when they're around me. Yeah, for sure. I want them to always feel good about themselves. And then I know that all teachers, I mean, they didn't all like my own kids. I mean... I could tell you a story that would curl my hair again, but <laughs> we won't go there. But um, they didn't all like my own kids. And they, and I was always fair with everyone's kids, especially, you know, Judy Weiner's kids. Anybody that had kids there, I always cut them a little more of a break because let their parents deal with them. I didn't have to deal with them. Just tell Beth and she'd kick Mason's ass. I mean... That was the end of it. Yeah, you can save your story for the next time we're at the bar, Chris, and you can you can oh, tell me. Yeah. I can't wait to do that again. I know the last like three calls I've been on, I've been like, okay, bar ASAP whenever we can. <laughs> okay, Chris, were you a reader growing up? Did you read? Stuff yeah, yeah, I liked books? you know I liked Nancy Drew books. I thought they were great, but I really liked the Hardy Boys too. Oh yeah. So I did a lot of those readings, and Charlotte's Web was one of my favorites. Oh, it's a great one. Yeah. Yeah. And um, as an adult, one of the books I really enjoyed was like The Prince of Tides. And um, I, I can't remember what else. And then, oh, The Boy in the Striped Pajamas which yeah. was a novel, but it read to be so much like karma that it it gave me something to think about. But one of the books I read as an adult and so did my son and it actually made him cry was a book that my friend wrote. I think you know her. I think her name's Natalie Ford. I knew you were going to do this. It bothered me. I, I read the book, and um, knowing that I'd had three kids, been married for 32 years, that lucky son of a gun, um, <laughs> I know that, that when John was born, who was my first, as Kai was yours, I was surrounded with love and my husband and as much as I wanted to kill him that first birth, it was love. I mean, they went to put the baby on my chest and he took the baby off. I mean, I just laughed because you didn't experience that. Yeah. And, and I always felt in my heart, like even when Kai was born, I always felt like you missed out on a little piece of something. But then, you know, as you and I talked and, you know, you met another wonderful man and got married, you know, it made up for a lot. And, and the nice thing about Kai is, you know, you guys had a, you guys had a good run together. I mean, you and Kai kind of had to find your way and you did. 
I know I will say it, it, it. I mean, there's so much joy in my life right now, but it is really hard sometimes. And I can't go there mentally when I no. have Ray or when Tatum was a baby. And I would think like, oh, my God, you know, now I know what I missed. And, you know, it's that's just like I mean, that thought is all consuming. And not that you meant you, you didn't miss that nurture and that love. And that peace. I mean, when that baby comes out, you have a sense of peace that is overwhelming. Right. You just miss the other half. Yeah. I mean, there's two halves to having a baby in. I don't know why you were pregnant. Of course, you were off. You didn't come back to work. And then when you had the baby, I just a part of me always felt really sad for you because I think you had a hard time in reading the book. I know you... And we won't we won't get in, into the whole thing, but I know that there was a side that you had to really contend with, and what you had been through, that side should have left you be, because you needed to get your life back together too. And um, I think what you did was just kind of pushed all that aside and said, "I'm going to get healthy," and you did. Um, it's, it, I interviewed Amy Saris and she talked a lot about her sister passing away and how when mm -hmm. her sister died, she couldn't read anything. Like she couldn't read a book. She couldn't like read a magazine. And like that made total sense to me. Like she's like, I couldn't read a book for three years. And I remember my best friend at the time and I said, how long before I'm going to wake up in the morning and not have this feeling of dread? And she said, right. it took me three years. Three years where the first thought I didn't have every single morning was my mom died. She said, that's how long it took. I was yeah. like, oh my God, I'm never going to make it. You know, like what a, oh Lord. But, but I you mean, do, you bounce back and forth. It's you crazy. crazy. And, and I, could crazy. Never predicted, I could have never predicted my life now in a million years. No, oh, I could have. <laughs> I always, man, there's somebody out there for you all the time. Look at who you are. I mean, you're engaging, you're bright, you're intelligent, you're knowledgeable, you're funny. I, I don't know if I've ever seen you cranky, but I'll tell you right now, I can't pick up a book and read it. How come? I just don't think that I'm ready. My mind is always wandering, you know, you yeah. know, I'm on the move all the time. You know, I'm used to taking 15,000 steps a day and now yeah, I take I a thousand. So you know, some days I don't even get out of bed, but it's better. It's better now that, you know, the world is coming to some sort of a, All right, we're going I don't know. We're evening out. I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know what the, I don't know what the future holds. And I just, that just runs in my brain. And so when I try to read, I have this book on Kurt Cobain I want to read and I can't get past, you know, the epilogue. So, you know. I'll just wait it out. Yeah, I hear you. It's hard. I will say the same thing. Like, I get so anxious and I feel it like in my face or in my, you know, like all these weird things. And it was the same way right when we left school. Like, I couldn't sleep and I couldn't concentrate and it was hard mm -hmm. to work. I couldn't wait for nighttime to come. Why? I couldn't wait to go to bed. Oh, just to, just to try to close it all down? Yeah, just to shut it all down. But I'll tell you, the best book I ever read in my whole life, and this might not surprise you, but the title, and I can't get it, I lent it to an Irish friend and she won't give it back to me, so I'll have to steal it back, but 
the best book I ever read in my whole life because I'm so Irish is the name of it is I'm fucking Irish. <laughs> and it, it has all the shenanigans and hooligans and all the, it was written about me. And it is definitely a book that <laughs> it was written about me. <laughs> Wait, is it a work of fiction? It's a story. No, no, it, well, n no, it's, it's like, uh, this Irish person wrote, you know, these Irish quotes and, well, okay, you know, got it. or how Irish people behave when they're drinking yeah. and yeah. all the bad parts of us when we're drinking and all the swear words and just every naughty part of an Irish person, it was like, reading my autobiography. How did that make you feel reading your autobiography? And I laughed my ass off. I thought it was funny. Um, are there, is your husband Irish or who are the other people in your life that well, are Irish? Actually, my, just before you came on, I was watching my neighbor across the street who's a Pentecostal Christian, which I could care less, talking to um, the neighbor across the street about white supremacy and so on and so forth and and it's funny because they the people on my side of the street don't speak to us because Stephen married a gentile so they're jewish and he's jewish and then the people the pentecostals don't speak to us because i'm catholic no way i i swear to god so when they were having their rant about racism and stuff, which I totally agree with them. I, I wanted to stand in the middle of the road and say, dudes, come on. You're like, everybody, you me? everybody hates each other. I mean, it's like, I'm Catholic and you don't like me. And you guys hate Stephen because he married a Catholic girl and you hate me because I'm Catholic. And Mommy. I just laugh. I just laugh. Wait, I don't know how much about Irish history you get into, but don't you think that like there's a lot of persecution there with Irish people? In oh, totally. Like I did my 23andMe, and it's really funny because my mom's friend did genealogy on my grandmother's side. And if you're from Ireland, you are either a Protestant or you are a Catholic. Right. That, those are your family lines. Well, my family line is some are Protestants, some are Catholics, and then one of the Catholics married a guy from France, so now I got French blood in me too. So nothing about my life is ever normal. And then they found out that my uh, grandmother's grandfather and his family were smuggled out of Ireland because the King of England wanted him beheaded. Wow. And I, and well, you know, I'm thinking, yeah, that's the way it should be. I mean, that's how my, that's how I see my family. We're hooligans. You know, we're, I have a brother who's the total opposite of me. And when we're together, it's, it's, um, his wife's like, I don't even know who he is. Cause you bring out the hooligan in him. I do. But also, don't you feel like this is why you kind of understand every single kid in our building also a little bit? Absolutely. Absolutely. My mother told me, don't do this, don't do that. And I did it anyway. 
And I was careful not to get caught. So I understand those feelings of wanting to do stuff that your parents don't want you to do because it's fun. Yeah. But, um, you know, the same with my own kids. They earned their freedom and they got their freedom. And when I had to tear it back, I tore it back. But I didn't have to do that with my boys. But as you know, we've talked. My daughter... uh, she gave me a good run for my money, and now she's the boss of the house. I mean, she's the sane one. She's the one that thinks. She's the one that, I mean, she's through all of this um, rioting and stuff. She's my activist. She wants to fix this whole problem and make it that, you know, I, I don't know. I just tell her, you know, you, you got to be careful because activists get hurt, and she doesn't care. She's going to be, she's going to save the world. And I don't know where she gets that from. Um, I, it's funny, though, because when I hear you talk about, I don't know, I think your shenanigans have, like, you guys, she seems sort of fearless in the same way that you are, but she just uses her fearlessness in a different way. Or she, like, totally. in a different direction. Totally. Like, Andy pulled me in his office one day and he said, I want you to know that Ricky's easier to get along with. And Am I allowed to swear? <laughs> Go for it. All right, so he says, Ricky's a lot easier to get along with than you are. I said, oh, really? Why don't you go fuck yourself? And he said, see, that's exactly what I'm talking about. So she's a lot like her dad. She, uh, she thinks before she talks. She gets the job done. She doesn't work at Berkeley High School to make friends, although she has made friends. Yeah, yeah. She's a very independent person and, and totally believes that if you can't stand next to anybody of any color, any race, any religion, then you don't need to be walking the earth with her. Yeah. So I wish that she would find some way to do some nonprofit type work because she's really good at it. Yeah. You know, I would be at a riot and, you know, I'd get arrested. I'd have to throw something. Immediately. <laughs> I mean, I, I want to be on the news where she just wants people to hug and kiss. And I don't know. I um, don't know. It's funny. It's funny. Your neighbors, um, you're giving me a lot to think about, Chris, but it's funny. Your neighbors, and I don't know, you, you and Ricky, though, I don't know her as well as I know you, just seem like the most loving people in the world. Oh, my God. Are you, we invite everybody in our... I mean, Stephen gets to the point where he's like, you've got to stop inviting people over you don't know. Well, we do because they're hungry, and, and we do because because you pass it forward, but um, he keeps us in check, so he's afraid that someone's going to come in and, you know, rob us or kill us. Or And I'm telling you, if you know me well enough, you'll know that I'm always locked and loaded, so that will never happen. <laughs> So, um, Chris, you are full of funny things. It was funny when I was getting ready to call you. I was like, I have no idea what Chris Albert is going to say to any of these questions. But at the same time, I did know what you were going to say to all these questions. Does that and, make you know, sense? I, cur- I curse a lot. And like at school, I've been trying to not curse so much. So, and the seniors have the cursiest mouths of all, which makes it so much more difficult for me. But, um, I was going to say, I know, 
I know I can hear Gus in the background. I don't want to keep you on too long or much. Oh, he's getting get, he's getting in the car. He's he's actually fighting his mother. He's a Gemini. <laughs> Wait, Chris, you're a Libra like me, right? I'm a Libra. Yeah. Funny. Yeah. Um, I I I always want harmony. I think that's part of my Libraness. You're a little well, bit more okay with discontent, or you know, not always being harmonious with people. Well, I think you and I were scales. So yeah, yeah, yeah. We try to balance our scales. Yeah. And when we can't, sometimes I think we push that part away because it's too much work. Yeah. You know, like my like having a family and a husband and a job is work. Yeah. Having sure. friends is a pleasure, is relaxation, is talking smack about your family behind their back. It's getting everything out. It's fun. And when you leave, you're like I love you. I'll see you tomorrow. And and I've learned at 59, when that gets hard, I have to get rid of you. Because I can't, I can't work hard at friendships and keep my family and work hard at my job and work hard at home and then go out to relax and listen to somebody talk about something I don't really give two shits about. Yeah. Yeah. So... So as you get older, you, you start to care less. Yeah, I've heard that. Wait, when's your birth? When's it, what's the date of your birthday? October? Second. Oh, okay. Hopefully we can have a big party at school for you this year. For yeah, well, year. that's the year they say you have to grow up. We'll see what happens. <laughs> I think we're all going to think about that, Chris. Is Chris Alper going to grow up this year? We will see. Well, we should, you know, we could probably do a, like a football pool and get squares and stuff. <laughs> All right, I'm going to let you go. I thank, thank you so much for talking to me. Well, it was a pleasure to talk to you. I missed you. I miss you, too. It's so crazy. I really need my work, people. I, me, too. I, I'm Summer's over. Let's go back to work. Summer's over. Let's get back to work. All right, have, have fun in your thing next week. Yes, I will. I will have fun. Thank you. Okay. All right, love All right. you, Chris. Talk to you soon. Lo love you, too, Nat. Bye. Bye.